0: We continue today in the Gospel of St. John. We're going to go on to chapter 3. After that, we may skip a little bit. I've kind of planned out our sessions and the number of sessions we have between now and the end, uh, towards the end of May. Thank you. I mentioned to you in the first session that we had that the Gospel of John is written using much more theological expression, much more theological writing, quite frankly, than any of the other Gospels. And again, please hear me. That doesn't mean Matthew, Mark, and Luke are not theological. Okay, I'm talking about the the way in which it was written expresses through the very life of Christ, taking all these things that St. John mentions in the Gospel, in the life of Christ, And fills it out from a language standpoint with all of the theology that the church had grown to understand. Because remember, when St. John wrote this, it's some 50, 60, 70 years after Christ. Further revelation of God to the church. Further revelation of who He is. Further revelation of our faith. How to worship. How to live as Christians. Because that's what theology is. Theology is the revelation of Christ given to man and then man being led by the Holy Spirit to give expression to that revelation. And St. John does that in the Gospel of John. And so today, in the Gospel of John in chapter 3, there are two narratives at play. I don't know if we'll get to the second or not. But the first narrative at play is when Nicodemus the Pharisee comes to Jesus at night, at the cover of night. He comes to Jesus and starts talking to Him and asking questions, wanting to learn about our Lord. And then we have all of the responses of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in these responses is the fullness of the church's revealed understanding Of how humanity comes into Christ. And that is through the sacrament of baptism. We have it right here in John chapter 3. We're going to take a rather exhaustive look at this. Because remember this. It's not just about understanding the sacrament of baptism. We all would say with pretty clear language. Is that when people are baptized. They're baptized into Christ. They're baptized into the church. That this is not just some physical act that we do in water to remember something that Jesus did for us in the past. That God is active bestowing life and light upon the person. Bringing them into himself and filling them with himself. We would all agree about that, but never forget this. Our baptism and the sacrament of baptism. If we understand it correctly, it says so much about who we are because of what Christ had done. And therefore, because of who we are, how then shall we live because of what Christ had done? And so we're going to look at this dialogue between Nicodemus and our Lord Jesus Christ. The second narrative in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 3 is the narrative where John the Baptist, St. John the Forerunner, gives glory to Christ with that incredible statement, he must increase, I must decrease. I don't know if we're going to get to that. If not, we'll start with it next time. Let's have a look at John chapter 3. And I've handed out the scriptures that we will use today. And I'll go ahead and read this one to us. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Now I'll tell you this right now. The Pharisee Nicodemus is the most interesting of all the Pharisees, okay? And I say that for for a very particular reason. Of all of the Pharisees, and the fathers teach us this in looking back at this Pharisee. Nicodemus, of all the Pharisees, was the one that was most genuinely interested and had an open heart for Christ, excuse me, for Christ to reveal himself to him. This is a Pharisee that was hungry for the truth. And even though at this point in time, at the very beginning stages of our Lord's ministry, even though he had indeed come as a representative of all the Pharisees when all of these new things and miracles were being done by Jesus Christ, he came quite frankly on behalf of all of the Pharisees, to say, what's going on here? It was an investigation. okay? And yet at the same time, you're going to see in Jesus' responses to Nicodemus, you're going to see him respond to one as though he's responding to someone who has an open heart to hear. Because I want you to remember this. How many times do the Pharisees come to to Him with no open heart and for one reason to catch Him in His words? They try to trip Him up in His words. That's the majority of the time you see the Pharisees interact with Christ throughout His life and ministry. And how does Jesus respond to them? He confounds them or He puts them down. Puts them down in honesty for where their hearts really are with the discerning mind that the Word of God had over their lives. But with Nicodemus, every time Nicodemus approaches Christ, and here in John chapter 3, by the dialogue itself, Jesus knows this man's heart wants to know. This man's heart is open for the revelation of God to him. Okay? Now, we start with this. Let's look at this relational exchange between the two. The Pharisee Nicodemus and our Lord Jesus Christ. Rabbi... We, and he's speaking of the Pharisees. We, the Pharisees, know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus himself already sets the stage... Of how the Pharisees are beginning to perceive Jesus. Now they wouldn't end up there. I'm saying how they would begin to. They perceive he is from God. And why do they perceive he is from God? For no one else can do what they're seeing this man do. God must be with Christ. But I find it very interesting. Again, I believe this is the Lord's discernment into the heart of the one he had created, the Pharisee Nicodemus. And he looks into his heart and he knows he wants to know the truth. He wants to know more. He doesn't just want to know on behalf of the Pharisees. Because he doesn't answer this question. Nicodemus says, we know you're from God because no one else could do these things. Jesus begins to immediately teach about salvation itself. Let's listen to Jesus' response. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We really need to pause here and think about these words. You have heard this many times. You have probably read this many times in the Gospels where Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The fathers teach abundantly about this. What I'm going to give you is kind of a summary of their thinking. Rather than quoting any one. I'll quote some fathers later. But there's so much on this. The first thing is this. He says unless you're born again. I'm going to take the second part first. You cannot see the kingdom of God. And He's not saying. And where a lot of people want to go with this. Is to interpret that verse by saying. Unless one is born again. They won't end up in heaven after they die. That is the most common in Christianity today, not in orthodoxy, okay? But in the vast Christianity that's out there beyond orthodoxy, that's where they want to go to, is unless you're born again, you won't be in the kingdom of God after you die. It's about an action here, and it's almost as if there's nothingness until you got your ticket punched, you're in heaven. Okay? And I'm generalizing, but you get what I'm saying. Okay? I know because I've been there. But this is not at all what he's saying. Because you have to understand the word see. You will not see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And that word see, even in the Greek language that it was written and in, translated into, the word see means this, to partake of the salvation in the kingdom of God. Very different than making it to heaven. Unless you're born again, you cannot partake now in the salvation that God has brought, bringing His kingdom to earth through our Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot, in other words, by partake, you cannot experience it. It cannot transform you. You cannot become something that you were not before because you were devoid of the Holy Spirit. You cannot have theosis occur. You cannot become whole again. Because these are the benefits of the kingdom of God that Christ had come to bring to man. He came to earth to bring man to God. In the now. Eternity does not begin beyond the flesh. Eternity begins when we are united to Christ. You see. For the healing of our souls. And so Jesus is saying, unless one is born again, you cannot partake in all of the blessings. The healing of the human person, salvation itself. Now and throughout eternity. But now let's jump to that first statement. Unless one be born again. Because if you remember, this tripped up Nicodemus. It's like, Lord... what What do you mean be born again? I mean, how can I enter again into my mother's womb? He's thinking entirely physical. (laughs) So Jesus indeed used words that would seem to lend itself, except for one thing. Again, we look to the language. And with that language, we look to the teaching of the fathers. To be born again, the key word is again. To be born again means to be born anew. It means to literally be recreated in that moment. For example, physically, we are born, we are created by natural means from mother and father, the gestation period in the womb, we are created, right, at that moment and born at a certain moment. What Jesus is saying is, unless you are recreated, an entirely new birth occurs in your life. To where you are being recreated means refashioned, meaning made something you were not before. You get the language? Unless one is born again in that light, born anew, made new, recreated by the very hand of God and the Holy Spirit of God. You cannot partake of salvation now and throughout all of eternity. One must be what Jesus is saying is one must be recreated by the same word of God that's him. And by the very same spirit of God that hovered over the waters in the beginning. That's how all creation was made in the first place. By that same word of God we are created. In the image of God. But what are we taught? What is the result of the fall? In the fall of man. We are born with the condition left behind by Adam and Eve's sin. And disobedience. Adam and Eve had, they were created into a perfect union with God and placed in the garden. To enjoy him forever. And in his image that they might grow in his likeness. But they fell. Not going to go into the reasons of the fall, we've talked about that before. But as they fell, the condition of their humanity changed. No longer were they one, united with God, they were not united with God. So every generation that came behind was still born in the image of God. But because we were devoid of the Holy Spirit, we lacked what was necessary union with the Trinity through all our days to grow like Him. To be made perfectly whole and holy as God is. That's the journey of the Christian. And Jesus is giving... Nicodemus the understanding that I've come for this very recreation of the human person this is the reason I've come but now comes the question if if I'm Nicodemus he asked the right physical question I mean granted I'm going to go this far I probably would have known Jesus is not saying I got to get back into the mother's womb for all this to happen right I get that But at the same time, I have a question. Jesus, if one is to be born anew, if one is to be recreated, what's the most logical question I'm going to ask him? How? How can this be? And Jesus immediately goes to the heart of the right question for Nicodemus because he bypasses... Quite frankly, and I I don't say this to degrade the Pharisee Nicodemus, but the silliness of the idea of going back into Mama's womb, right? He bypasses that and goes straight to what's really the question on Nicodemus' heart. How, Lord? How may I be recreated? And here's Christ's answer. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which was born of flesh is flesh. What's Jesus saying there? When we are born, all we are is flesh. We are born from flesh. We are created flesh. What's the missing ingredient? God Himself by the Holy Spirit, right? That which is born of flesh is flesh. But listen to what He says. But that which is born of spirit... Is spirit. Now stop for a second. I don't want you to answer this out loud. But I want you to begin formulating this. If that which is born of of spirit. Is spirit. Which is us. Begin to ask the question. What does this tell me about myself? What does this tell me about my identity? I was once flesh. But now being joined to God. What does that mean? Because see we ought to be asking that question every day of our life perhaps in the moments of our life for the rest of eternity because we have been remade we have been recreated okay and what Jesus is saying by being born of water and spirit all of the fathers in absolute unison, are, what are they what is he really saying water and spirit where are we recreated in the waters of what baptism, baptism. baptism baptism the very waters if you remember Jesus went into to sanctify for this very act not because he had sinned, the holy went into the normal mundane river water of the Jordan to set it aside eternally, that by the prayers of His church and the coming of the Holy Spirit into those waters, it becomes the means by which the Holy Spirit washes away all of the gap between man and God, all of the sin, and fills that person with the Holy Spirit. Chris, did you have something? I've heard Orthodox explain it. Was, meaning baptism, is, meaning spirit, and then will be, meaning resurrection. So I was saved, being saved, I will be saved. Absolutely. And that you go back to what Jesus said, that, that unless you're born anew, and here now we're knowing how, through baptism, you cannot partake of the salvation. That's not a one-time event. You're hit. You're on it. It is from that point of baptism and being filled with the Holy Spirit, we partake in every benefit now that He's given us if we will remain in Him to being made whole, which is salvation, and that's all throughout this life and beyond. Thank you. Very good. Very good. Let me read to you the words of St. John Chrysostom on baptism, dealing with these very verses. He says, and so what Christ says to the Pharisee Nicodemus is something like this. If you are not born again... If you do not share in the spirit that comes through the washing of regeneration. There's baptism. If you do not share in the spirit that comes through the washing of regeneration. Everything you think about me. That is Christ. Everything you think about me will be from a human point of view, not a spiritual. I find that fascinating. Think about what that's saying. Without the Holy Spirit, the main reason our salvation cannot come to fruition is because we are incapable of seeing the revelation of the divine word of God clearly. It even takes the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer to see clearly the Jesus Christ who is our salvation. Why is He our salvation? One of the reasons is because He is our end goal. He is the one who joined flesh to spirit. Flesh to divinity. Remember what I had up on the board at the beginning of our study? We talked about that heresy that was forever keeping the divine and the flesh separate in the theology. And the church constantly proclaimed the only way that we are saved is because in Christ himself, divine and human have been joined. And therefore... St. John Christensen is saying, unless you receive the Holy Spirit through the waters of regeneration, you will only always perceive Christ from human eyes. You You cannot even receive the fullness of the revelation of the divine Jesus Christ, but by the Holy Spirit. And I found that fascinating. I found that fascinating. I want to talk about baptism for just a moment, uh, staying on this, but also using some of our epistles that we have in Scripture for us to understand, and we do, but, but to fully understand, I should say, baptism as a point of entrance into Christ, His kingdom and His covenant. The reason I'm reminding us of this, is because remember what I said in the beginning, unless we understand baptism itself, sometimes it's very hard to see the fullness of what God has truly done on our behalf and created us to be. So I want to go a little further with this. So baptism as part a point of entrance into Christ, into His kingdom, into His covenant. In the epistle of St. Paul to Titus, St. Paul echoes specifically this understanding that Christ had passed on to His apostles, and they had experienced in their lives. I read to you from Titus chapter 3, where Paul says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. What's he, what's he saying? You were once flesh. You were once flesh devoid of spirit. And that's what it was like. But then he continues. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. And then as if to answer the question, how has He saved us? Through the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. There Paul is talking about baptism in the same way that St. John Chrysostom would talk about John chapter 3. We were saved by the mercy of God. We were brought into Him. Granted partaking in the divine life of the Holy Trinity. Partaking in salvation that He brought. How? Through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the human person He's talking about. Renewal by the Holy Spirit. That is, we were given in those waters new birth. We were born... Anew. We were created or should say recreated and separated unto God. Completely consecrated to Him in that moment. Okay, so again, asking questions about our lives. If in the waters of regeneration we are given of the Holy Spirit and un- united to the Holy Trinity. And consecrated to God. Taken from that old life and placed in something uniquely different. Are we living as consecrated recreated persons in Christ? How do we live our daily lives? Is this even on the forefront or the back front of our minds? Of who I am, of who I have been made, who I am called and given grace to become? Do I see this playing out in the most practical aspects of my daily life on this earth? It's a question that we ought to be asking. So let's talk about this idea of baptism again being point of entrance into the covenant. Follow me for just a second with the thinking. Who is it throughout the whole course of existence with God and His created humanity? Who is it that sets up all of the regulations of the covenant, God or man? That's a question. Yeah, God. <clears throat> okay. So God sets up everything about the covenant. Who is it that sets up the means by which someone enters into that covenant with all of those uh, stipulations that our Lord had put forth, God or man? Once again, God. In the Old Covenant, what was the point of entry into the Old Covenant with God? Circumcision Circumcision for males. Do you know, have y'all ever looked up, I'm curious, have y'all ever looked up how females came into the Covenant? There's not going to be a debate here, trust me. Because there's no debate to be had. There's a bit of a mystery in this in some ways. There there are some, even, even today, if you look at some of the most conservative Jewish minds that understood the old covenant and still practice the old covenant, they will say that women were entered into the covenant by means of the males. That's the most common thought. So there wasn't a physical action that was done, but a spiritual reality that occurred, so to speak. Okay? But truly, getting back to the point, the point of entrance into the covenant was indeed circumcision. And once a person was circumcised, were they part in the covenant or fully? They were fully into the covenant. Now... Deacon and I were talking about this actually on the drive up to Wichita, Kansas. We were talking about about baptism. And we talked about this verse from St. Paul that I'm going to read to you. So keep that in mind of circumcision being the point of entry into the covenant. But also this. Please remember that St. Paul, he called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was trained by one of the greatest Hebrew minds of that time, Gamaliel. Okay? Okay. Of all the apostles, there's probably no one that understood covenant better than St. Paul. Alright? In Colossians 2, listen to what he says about circumcision and about baptism. And by the way, before I came to orthodoxy, this was one of the last theologies that had to drop in me because I was raised believing in believer's baptism. That means that someone has to be, like Deacon said this morning, of rational ability to make a choice and a response for Christ. And only then should they be baptized. And when they were baptized, it was only a symbol of what God had already done in them. That was me. I had to unlearn to learn. The verse I'm about to read to you is what the Holy Spirit used to help me drop all my past theology on this. Okay. So in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11... He says, in Him, Jesus, in Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. See what he's doing. He's talking old covenant terminology. That rather than being circumcised by the hands of a high priest, by men... You have been circumcised by the great high priest. You, all Christians, have been circumcised by the great high priest. Listen to verse 12. Having been baptized with him. Well, that sealed it. St. Paul, just in those verses, said, the circumcision of the old coven, the point of complete Entrance into fullness of covenant with God was circumcision. And now by the great high priest, that old covenant regulation is fulfilled in and through our great high priest, Jesus Christ, through the waters of baptism. And he goes on to say, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. Do you see how great, Are you're starting to see, we'll forever learn, To see how great the activity of God is on man's behalf in the waters of baptism. Every sin committed, washed away, gets even better. As if that weren't enough. A total cleansing of person and conscience. But it gets even better. What we lacked in our human person that we were created to enjoy is fulfilled in and through those waters as we are reunited once again to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And by that uniting, we are recreated, born anew. And now therefore, as what we've been seeing with the fathers, what we see in the scriptures, now therefore we have everything we need to fully receive the revelation of the Word of God. And by the reception of the Word of God, now because of what we see, we can become. Because we've been given grace by that Word of God through the Holy Spirit to become just like Him. And it all began in the waters of baptism where the high priest, the great high priest, continuing, by the way, the great high priest, we talked in our Hebrew study, continuing to stand in heaven, still enfleshed, yet joined so perfectly to divinity in His resurrected body, standing between God and man, our great high priest, acting on our behalf, circumcising us, and yet joining us to God Himself. And by the way, let's go a little further, because I certainly didn't believe in child baptism. When was someone circumcised in the Old Covenant? On the eighth day of their life. I don't know how rational they were. On their eighth day. They could cry. They could cry. A few other things maybe too. The rational, able to come to their own conclusions, able to intellectually embrace the fullness of the old covenant. Come on. But it seems to me that even in Christ this is fulfilled where he says suffer the little children to come unto me. Jesus came and lived at every stage of his life. Every stage of his life. So that at every stage of any human's life, they might encounter him and be saved. And that includes even in the womb. Even as they come out and are baptized. Even as they're 3 years old, 5 years old, 17 years old, 50, 60, 70, on their deathbed. (coughs) Jesus existed, flesh joined to divinity to save man at every stage of their possible life. How far has God... How incredible is the love of God to you, to me, when we look at that. And so that's why the church has been baptizing babies. They see it as the fulfillment of the covenant. And that's why as Orthodox Christians, we do something different than the Roman Catholics and a number of the other ones out there that do still at least baptize babies we don't make them wait until they're intellectually able to answer a bunch of questions to receive the life-giving Eucharist. Now it makes sense why, doesn't it? If Jesus said one must be born anew, how does that happen? Through, by being born in water and spirit through baptism. And unless you're born anew in that, you cannot partake of the divine life. You cannot partake of salvation if children are baptized. Why would they need to wait to partake? Of all the sacraments that God has offered to give to them for their life and their salvation. Which is why in orthodoxy we don't make them wait. But we have the responsibility just as those parents in the old covenant. To raise them in obedience to Christ. To raise them in our faith, to attach them to Christ in such a way that they know how to experience God in prayer and become by the Holy Spirit like our God. The church raises kids, not just parents. Yes, parents raise kids. We have been duped. Our culture has been duped to limit religious education to the home, and that's not even done very well in the home these days. The church raises souls. The church surrounds parents. You see, it's the familial. It's the complete. What about Saint Constantine? Hmm. What about Saint Constantine? Ask me more about that. What are you asking about? him? He waited to his deathbed. Until his deathbed. I mean, he was so sinful. He was so bad that he waited until his deathbed so that he would be sure and be forgiven. Yeah. So isn't that pretty? Kind of a... You know it's kind of a spiritual roll of the dice, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and at the same time, my answer to you is we will never know because that's not our throne that's right? right? Mm-hmm. I know your question. I've thought about the same thing, but the reality is, again, again, if Jesus existed at every stage of human life, including just before that last breath of death, to exist joining humanity to divinity. It is the hope of every Christian that one might find salvation even at that moment. Right? Mm-hmm. So he really was the last worker in the and don't think, yeah, And don't think that with everything God used him for. Right? And all of the things in his being around and in churches and so on and so forth. That this wasn't impacting his life all the way. Well, we could agree that there's no question. Of what he must have seen and experienced during those days, but it is a it is a question. It's a good question. Die, it's not the end. Yeah, yeah. When well, I was his decision, I suppose at that time. But at that time, I would imagine that the church was uh, baptizing infants, correct? Yes. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. So I mean, and he was not born in the church. Remember that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Karen. Well, I'm not sure how happy this Episcopal priest was with me, but I had send the patient to hospice once and he wanted to be baptized. in his day, And actually well, they wound up baptizing him in the bathtub of his home and they got yeah. it done. Yeah. And I said you get it done. You'll get See, go get it done. Okay. It done. Now I will te- I, and I will share I will testify my baptism to you that's right you'll never look at your priest the same again I was baptized in a hot tub I didn't know if it was the Holy Spirit or somebody turned the jets on I didn't know what was going on but I was truly baptized in a hot tub And I gotta tell you something though Compared to Russian baptisms in midwinter, I'll take that hot tub experience, no question. Let where I was. What's that? And, and this was in the Orthodox Church, and I was 16. No, I was 15. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those big old wash tubs, those metal ones, you know, yes. they, they had two of them. And they poured water over us standing in it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've seen those too. That's great. That's great. I want to I close. I'm, we're almost out of time. But I do want to close with one more thing from St. Athanasius. St. Athanasius was a deacon. And he was used in one of the church councils mightily. He is the very one that God used to give us our theological understanding of the theology of the Incarnation. Okay? Saint Athanasius. I want to read to you his take on baptism. And Kathy, could could I get your help with something just for a second? If you would just... I'd just like you to stand here and hold this about like that. Okay? Right. Saint Athanasius gives an incredible understanding of what happens to the human person in its rebirth, being made anew, created anew. Because he gives the, I'm going to set it up, then I'm going to read his words. He talks about it as if God were a great painter that painted the likeness of his son, and that became humanity. And he he says this, he says that if you take a look at this icon of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is the image we were made in. But if you take this and you muddle it and you blur it, it it, it fades over time. Portraits do fade over time unless they're taken care of. And the only way for the portrait to be clear and restored again is for the one that sat was the one sitting while the great artist painted would return and he painted over it again. Now listen to St. Athanasius. He says, Once the likeness painted on a panel has been effaced by stains from outside itself, the one whose likeness it is needs to come once more and enable the portrait to be renewed on the same wood. And for the sake of his picture, even the mere wood on which it is painted is not thrown away, but the outline is renewed upon it. In the same way, The most holy Son of the Father, being the image of the Father, came to our world to renew humankind once made in His likeness. He came to find such lost individuals by the remission of their sins. He says as much Himself in the Gospels, I came to find and save the lost. This is why He also said to the Jews, Except one of you be born again. Not meaning as they thought birth from a woman, but speaking of the soul born and created anew through baptism in the likeness of God's image. What happened to us at baptism? The image. We were born with a marred, unclear, and deficient image. And when... We are baptized. It's as if the Son of God took His seating again in us. So that God by the Holy Spirit may once again on that same wood. The same human person. On that same wood would clearly define again and recreate the image upon ourselves, So that everyone that looks upon us. Who do they see? Isn't that beautiful? That's from Saint Athanasius. My friends, let me tell you something else that the fathers say. From the time we are baptized, what I just described to you happened in an instant. How we live from that point on, as the fathers say, how we choose to live will either efface that again, stain it again, blur it again so that people can't see it clearly, or we will do as what Jesus called the disciples to do, leave everything and follow Him in our lives. And for those that leave everything and follow Him in their lives, which Jesus calls, if you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit, in John 15. If we remain in Him, the clarity of the very person of Jesus Christ shines so brightly through us. And bring salvation into the world. Who are you? Who are you because of who He is and what He's done in your baptism? And I want you to think about that. Everything we've talked about regarding baptism today, I want you to think about the next time you witness someone being baptized or chrismated, the activity of God on their behalf. But you know what else? I want you to think about that every time you enter into the church and dip your fingers in the holy water, which is the waters of baptism, and place it upon your head in the form of a cross, because you are remembering in the most true sense of remembrance. Grace is there to be had, remembering the recrafting of the image of God upon you. And I also want you to remember it one more time when the priest and those serving with him come by and sprinkle you with holy water during what we call the Asperges, don't you remember what we sing? Thou shalt purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Thou shalt wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And then, from Easter to Pentecost, we sing these words when the baptismal water is sprinkled upon us in the Vidiaquam. I beheld water which proceeded from the temple on the right side thereof, alleluia. And they to whom that water came were healed, everyone. And they sing alleluia. Healed in the waters of baptism. Enabled, as Christ says in John chapter 3, to partake in all of the salvation He's come to offer and cleansed of our sins. Let's stand.